Lord, uh, cause her, send your virtue and your strength to be sent into her physical body. Give her strength in Jesus' name, Father, and restore her health. Uh, Lord, your word says that if we pray for the sick, they will recover. And so we are believing your word and asking for you to do a miraculous impartation of healing on Pam Birch in Jesus' name. Amen. Everybody say amen. Amen. All right. Well, we're talking about the kingdom economy. And this is, uh, if you're uh, first time with us this morning, we're kind of right in the middle of a series on the kingdom economy. And the reason we're talking about kingdom economy is that the world economy right now, maybe you've noticed, I don't know, (laughs) if you've watched the news or listened to the radio at all, The world economy is in turmoil. It's not just the Michigan economy. We've been in turmoil for a long time. (laughs) But uh, and it's not just the U.S. economy, but it's really a worldwide phenomenon. And it's it's quite amazing uh, to see. And in fact, um, even though the Great Depression, which we've all heard about uh, uh, back in the 30s, affected the whole world, this current economic crisis, the repercussions of it spread very quickly uh, throughout the whole world because all of our economies are so intertwined, um, uh, more so than they were back in the 30s. And things happen on uh, a bigger scale, but also a much quicker scale. Um, And with so much being said and about the world economy and the effect that it's having in our lives, I want to come, and I felt led by God to speak on some issues of kingdom economy, because God has an economy, and we learned in the first uh, installment of this uh, this series that economy really refers to all of the rules and regulations that govern a society, especially in regard to transactions and how how business occurs, but how any type of transaction uh, occurs. And so economy is a really a big word. It's, it doesn't just deal with money. <clears throat> money is part of an economy, but the money is affected by a lot of other things, how businesses are organized, how uh, governments are organized, how people relate to one another. And so all of these kind of bigger ideas or issues affect how our personal finances uh, work, how much money we have to spend and how we can spend it is all dependent on bigger things that uh, are already in place. Well, the same is true in the kingdom. And in fact, I, I thought of just 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 during worship, actually, this whole idea uh, um, in some countries and even in our country, there's more than one economy. You know, there's the regular economy and then there's a, a sh- often called a shadow economy or a black market <coughs> uh, where you can buy and sell things and you can have whole businesses that are under the radar. You know what I'm talking about? You know, where people... Uh, 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 transact business and have influence but it's kept out of the light of government uh, so that they can avoid taxation Uh, in some countries that's the predominant way that you can purchase anything 
because the government is so broken down in some nations that the only way that you can actually buy food is through a black market. <clears throat> and so that there's like, you know, we already live, even on the world system, there's more than one economy. Okay, take that idea and turn it around the other way and realize that there's a bigger economy, and it's called the kingdom economy. Okay, that, that above the world economy and above all of those other, you know, secret little things that are going on is God's economy. And it's the rules and regulations, the dynamics by which God uh, oversees the interaction of people and things. And, it, and we all live under that system. And every other world economy is actually under those systems. So we want to focus our attention as Christians. I believe that this time, this season that the world is in right now is a tremendous opportunity for you and I and believers to stand up as lights in the world and say hey there's a whole nother system and when your system breaks down or when the world system breaks down that's not the time when we hide in our rooms and out of fear and we're going to lose everything no that's the time where we can stand up and say there's a bigger and better system by which you can that you can put your trust in all right so we can be lights to the world okay uh, a couple of definitions (laughs) i uh the name, the title of this sermon is is um, how to uh, how to uh, escape. Actually, I don't have a real crisp name here. It's not. <laughs> I wanted to talk about materialism. All right, and uh, escape from materialism or freedom from materialism. So I thought, well, I better look up what the word materialism means. You know, you think you know what a word means. Sometimes it's good to look up a word that you think you you know and. Of course, materialism is used in different senses, but there's actually a philosophy of materialism. And um, the philosophy of materialism uh, uh, holds that the only thing that can be truly proven to exist is matter. Okay, Uh, materialism is a philosophy that thinks that the only thing that really exists, all things are fundamentally composed of material even things like consciousness and thought is the result of interactions between matter. Okay, got it? Everybody say that sounds interesting. (laughs) Matter is the only substance, okay? And uh, it's actually, uh, I guess uh, a better word is physicalism, where everything is part of the physical universe and and there is nothing else. So even thoughts, you know, they're just interactions between neurons and the transfer of an electrical charge between, you know, the matter in our brain. That's it. And, and that there is nothing beyond that. <clears throat> and I thought, well, what's the opposite of materialism? You know, and that's why I thought spiritism, and I, spiritualism, you know, and I thought, well, spiritualism has a bad connotation. <laughs> but there is actually an opposite in, in the world of philosophy, uh, and that is idealism. Okay? And, and, and uh, uh, idealism is the philosophy that, uh, let's see here, <laughs> maintains that the ultimate nature of reality is the ideal or the idea. Um, uh, 
uh, values, um, reality is ideal or based upon ideas, values, and essences, and that the so-called external or real world is inseparable from consciousness, perception, mind, intellect, reason. Let's see here. Um, uh, Some idealists claim and insist, and this is a quote, that only things which can be the only things that can be directly known are ideas. Okay, and we think about this for a minute. <coughs> uh-huh. And his his reasoning is, you don't really, you can't objectively experience me, even though you're sitting in the same room room with me. The only thing you're experiencing is your idea of me, that's formed by the sound waves that are entering your ear and the light waves that are coming into your eye and the memories that you have of me and the interactions. And so idealists kind of carry it to an extreme and say, you know what, the the whole outside physical world really is not even able to be known because we only experience it on an idea level. Are you, are you following this? <laughs> Okay, so the materialist goes to the extreme and say nothing really exists except external matter. And the idealist go to this other extreme and say nothing really exists except thought and consciousness. All right? And, and, and on that uh, extreme, you get, you get spiritualism. There's the Christian sciences, Christian science, the religion Christian science. They do not believe that matter exists. Okay? It's just clear in their doctrine. All right? They don't believe in the existence of matter. Everything is an extension of thought. Uh, and, uh, and a lot of New Age um, uh, uh, spiritualism goes to that degree. <coughs> and so we have this uh, wide range. Now, there's, then there's economic materialism. All right? That philosophy of materialism is, is interesting. Uh, I guess, if you're a student of philosophy, if you think in deep thoughts. But then there's this this economic materialism, and that's how we use the word more often. And that's someone who, uh, a a materialistic person, uh, is a person uh, to whom collecting material goods is really important. (laughs) All right? Someone who pursues wealth. Okay, boy, he's really materialistic. You know, in that sense. But you have to understand, a person that is materialistic, that pursues wealth, does that because they believe something. All right? There's a reason for that. Maybe they've never explored that reason. Maybe they wouldn't say this reason out loud. Uh, but the real reason is because they think that stuff, this materialist, gaining material stuff, that's where everything ultimately is. That's that's what's really important. And so if that's what's really important, I want to get a lot of it. And so what someone focuses on, someone becomes materialistic because they have actually bought into this philosophy that uh, says that, you know, the physical world is all that really matters. And and so that expresses itself in how they live their lives. All right. Um, <clears throat> and also uh, uh, how it's... Um, kind of moving into where we are <laughs> materialism results in or is expressed in what is known as consumerism 
How many have heard the term consumerism? All right, oops, I spilled some water. It's all right, it's not real. <laughs> I'm sorry. <coughs> it's real, it's real water. <laughs> you want to find out? <laughs> now this, this is actually a quote from the picture I was using. Consumerism is the equation, the equation, okay, so consumerism equals uh, the equation of personal happiness with the purchase of material possessions and consumption. So happiness equals buying things. All right? That's all laugh. <laughs> You're all busted, though. <laughs> because you know what? It is fun to go out and buy stuff. Right? It's fun to go out and buy stuff, right? But consumerism is <coughs> uh, carrying that to an excessive degree to which that defines your happiness. That uh, unless you're buying things, you can't be happy. And listen, you have been... Our whole society is absorbed in this idea. Okay? For the last at least 50 years, the idea of consumerism has been uh, infused into the way we think and the way we act. And our whole system has become dependent on it. That's why when the economy is collapsing, what the government's trying to do is enable everybody to borrow more money. Because they realize if people don't go out and buy things on credit, are you hearing me? The system falls apart. Now, to me, that's a stupid system. <laughs> okay, because everybody realizes, oh, I can't go out and buy anything more on credit because my credit's all I'm maxed out and the credit cards aren't giving me any higher limit. And so I can't buy anything. And so the guy who's selling stuff can't sell anything. All right. And so he can't buy stuff from his suppliers. So the people who make stuff can't make stuff. And so they have to lay people off. And so people are losing their jobs, which makes it harder to buy stuff and get a higher credit. Are you hearing me? <clears throat> and that the whole system was built on debt. And the idea is that if you buy things, you are happy. Well, what happens when you can't buy anything anymore? Everybody's not happy. All right? And that's where we're at right now. And that's just not a healthy system. And there's a better way to happiness. Now, it doesn't mean that, you know, it's just like food, okay? Food is wonderful. How many had a great Thanksgiving meal? All right? Now, what if we ate that way every meal? Right? <laughs> right? We can enjoy food. But the excessive, you know, equating that the only time I'm happy is when I'm putting high-calorie, high-fat substances into my mouth ends up creating a very unhealthy situation, right? The only time I'm happy is when I'm purchasing things will end up creating a very unhealthy situation and end up causing breakdown. I like <coughs> a, a critic of uh, consumerism 
which is the dominant, that's, that's how our whole system, the world system has been based on consumerism and is based and probably won't change for, for a long time. By the way, we need to learn how to live within that system but not be a part of the system in the world but not of the world. Maybe you've read that. It's in the Bible. All right. I will get the scripture here in a minute. I got to read this quote, though. This is a French philosopher, uh, some guy you've never heard of. I'd never heard of him before. But this sentence I like. So bear with me. (coughs) He's speaking about this idea of consumerism and why it's bad. And he says that the techniques used to create consumer behavior, the techniques, and there's billions of dollars spent to create desire, it's called advertising, and they're really good at it. Um, So that he says that the techniques used to create consumer behavior amount to the destruction of psychic and collective individualization. Okay. And so it, it actually destroys your individuality. Okay? It does if you give into it, but you don't have to. And then he goes on. He says, The diversion of libidinal energy toward the consumption of consumer products, he argues, results in an addictive cycle leading to hyperconsumption, the exhaustion of desire, and the reign of symbolic misery. I would take out the word symbolic. Okay, in other words, when all of your uh, desire and lust and drive, that energy is directed toward buying stuff, it actually creates an addictive behavior. You're only happy when you're buying stuff, so you have to go out and buy something more. That's why our houses are so full of stuff, but we just keep going and getting more stuff to the point that (coughs) this hyper-consumption you actually exhaust desire. It's like you don't even want anything anymore, but you still have to buy something because what you want is that fix of buying stuff, getting something new, something different, rather than having something old or the same, valuing things that don't change, valuing tradition, valuing relationship. You see, there's a whole other category of things that we can value. I'm taking too long on this. And it ends up just causing misery. Would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 16, verse 24? Because Jesus doesn't want you miserable. (laughs) And we have to, listen, we as Christians have to have something to say. All right? You are an ambassador for Christ to proclaim to the world to proclaim to your family, to proclaim to yourself, all right, that there is a new, there is a different way. There's a different way of thinking. There's a different system that you don't have to be bound by the world economy and this consumerism and the manipulation that the world uses to control people. Jesus sets us free from that. He gives us an alternative, but we need to know what the alternative is. Jesus says in Matthew 16:24 to his disciples, he says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Everybody say find it. For what profit will a man gain 
what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Think about that for a minute. Verse 27, For the Son of Man, Jesus, will come in the glory of His Father with His angels, and then He will reward each according to His works. I'm going to read this from uh, another book, Mark, same uh, uh, discourse uh, quoted by Mark. Uh, Mark chapter 8, verse 34 through 38. And then we're going to talk about some of the points that Jesus makes. Jesus says, Mark... 834 when he jesus had called the people to himself with his disciples also he said to them whoever desires to come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me for whoever desires to save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it for what profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? And then verse 38 is, is, is different than the quote from Matthew. It says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. All right, so there's three things that are common in these two scriptures. One, Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you have to deny yourself. What does that mean? Think about it. All right. You, to follow Jesus, you have to deny yourself. There has to be a dynamic where you say no. Everybody say no. No to yourself. Say no self. I'm following Jesus. You leave... Those, now that's self is that that part of you that wants everything for you. It's the part that says you're the most important thing in the universe. Everything revolves around you. And you have to go, wait a minute, that's not true. I'm going to follow Jesus. So you have to deny. You cannot be a follower of Christ unless you're a denier of self. Jesus doesn't compromise here. In fact, he says you have to take up your cross and carry it. You know what happens on a cross? Have you ever seen the Passion? If you haven't, go rent it. Right? You die. Everything that you are is nailed and left to die on the cross. Jesus Jesus says it to follow me. That's where I'm going. I'm going to the cross. All right? So to be his disciple, we have to deny. Then there's this profit and loss statement. It's serious. A profit and loss. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? All right? So here's your profit and loss statement. You, what good will it do if you were the richest man in the world but spent eternity in hell. Think about that. Okay? So, maybe realistically, you'll never be the richest man in the world, but what profit is you is it to, to sell out 
what is really valuable, your soul, just to be a little more comfortable or to have this thing or that thing. And Jesus said, this, this is reality. This is how you respond to the scream of the world that says, buy, buy, buy. That uh, meaning is wrapped up in materialism. This is how you overcome it. But you overcome it by saying, no, I deny myself because I'm following Jesus because it doesn't, it's not worth it. And then Jesus says this really interesting thing. He says, this is the third common thing in both verses. He says, what will a man, and this just means a person, man, woman, or child, give in exchange for his soul? All right, it doesn't, Jesus doesn't say, think about this for a minute. Can I have your attention? Jesus doesn't say, what will he take in exchange for his soul? Does he? Jesus says, what will a person give in exchange for their soul? I've been chewing on this now for this whole past week. I was like, what does that mean? What are you going to give in exchange for There's only one translation that, that kind of captures this. Is the contemporary English version it says, what could you give to get back your soul? <coughs> I read just yesterday, and uh, there's an article in National Geographic about the, 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 the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. All right? Adapted in 1948. And... One of the things it says is that all people are born free. And I'm like, that's a great idea, but it's not true. It's not true on a real level because a lot of people are born into slavery. Even if it's not called slavery, it's economic slavery. Some people are born into slavery. But the truth is all people are born a slave to sin. All right? And we're under the dominion of an evil taskmaster called the enemy. And so what Jesus is saying here is that, listen, there's a transaction that needs to take place. It takes place in the kingdom economy. What are you willing to give for your soul? And he says, this is what you have to give up. You have to give up yourself in order to follow me. Does that make sense? All right. He cuts it right down to the bottom. To follow me, you have to give up on yourself and follow Jesus to the cross. And that's how you get your soul. That's how you find true freedom. That's how you get delivered from this mess of materialism. Alright? That's how you're set free. Let me tell you a story. Mark 10. I'll try to close with this. Mark 10, verse 17. says, Now as He was going out on the road, uh, Jesus was walking down the road, uh, one came running, knelt before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Okay, picture this. Jesus is walking down the road, right? Guy runs up, falls to his knees. Good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? You know, this is like a preacher's dream. You know, <laughs> just walking around. So, what, what can I do to get saved? And Jesus kind of, in, in a typical Jesus fashion, answers a question with a question. He says, Why do you call me good? No one's good but God. 
says, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And this man answered Jesus and said, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him. The verse says that there was love. Jesus looked at this guy and had this, man, I love this guy. He's so, he's great. You know, you ever look at somebody, I just love this guy. And Jesus said to him, okay, one thing you lack. Go your way and sell whatever you have and give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. He said, go sell everything and come be one of my disciples. You can get saved with me. He could have been one of the disciples. But the response was he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around to his disciples and said, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his word. But Jesus answered and said to them, Children, how hard it is. He rephrases it to clarify it. He says, How hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. He says, And they were greatly astonished, saying, Well, who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With men it's impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are impossible are possible jesus challenged this young man's uh idea of what good meant and his concept of who jesus was he was willing to look at jesus and say you're a good teacher but jesus said wait a minute only god is good are you willing to accept me as god all right another point is the man asked what must i do So he thought, maybe there's some task. And this is a mentality. This is a worldly idea. If I do the right thing, then I'll get in. And Jesus was, it's not about what you do. He brought it down to the level of who are you trusting? Where is your trust? And he knew that this man's trust was in his finances, in his wealth. That's where his confidence was. Proverbs 11.28 says, He who trusts in riches will fall. The problem was, who was he trusting? And it was revealed by his emotional response. He was sorrowful. He was sad. He went away sorrowful. He walked away. He couldn't do it. Because of his possessions. He wasn't able to follow Jesus because he wasn't willing to give up all of his stuff. And the problem was, what was he trusting? Now, it's possible to have... The point is not the possessions. All right? Are you hearing me? Because it was about trust. It's not... The point is not how much you own. The point is... What or who owns you? You can be incredibly wealthy, but not be possessed by anything you own. Willing to give it away freely. In fact, you live a lifestyle of uh, extravagant giving. You can't outgive God. The people that give the most that I've known through my life are constantly 
just God pours out on them. All right? But the people who get owned by their possessions and put their trust and their happiness in material things, they end up, no matter how much they have, they're miserable. Are you hearing me? Because they're not following Jesus. They're making the same mistake that this rich young ruler made when he came up to Jesus. And Jesus said, listen, this is all you have to do. Give up everything and come follow me. (laughs) But he wasn't able to do it because he trusted in riches. It may be impossible for us to do it, but it's possible with God. The real problem that we have in our lifestyle is not stuff. It's an addiction to stuff, and that's what the Bible calls covetousness. That we're never happy with what we have. There's this insatiable greed for more. And and there's only one solution to that, saints. It's called death. It's called the cross. You can't negotiate your way through that. You have to say, I choose to deny myself and follow Christ because I believe that in following Christ and using my possessions for the purpose of the kingdom of God will bring me greater happiness in this life and in the life to come than in just acquiring stuff. That's where freedom lies. All right? And, and if we're able to communicate that, and I hope that you can communicate it maybe in a better way than I'm communicating it this morning. You know, I realize you have to try to communicate that in the course of, a, of, of working with people or, or people in stores. But you need to communicate that, that your life and your happiness is not dependent on stuff, that you're free from the God of materialism because you serve a bigger God and you operate on the kingdom economy. And that will actually free you to enter into a level of prosperity, okay, that's far greater than you can imagine. God wants you to be wealthy. He wants to entrust to you great riches. But if there's any hint of covetousness or materialism in your heart, He just can't trust you with that. You know, it's like a kid with a, you want to give him something, but you know what? I bought my boy some radio controlled cars and they leave them outside and all it takes is one little rain and they're toast. And I've told them they want radio controlled cars. I said, I bought them a couple years ago. Remember what happened to them? They left them outside. So you know what? When you get old enough that you can show that you'll be responsible with it, maybe I'll buy you another radio controlled car. Because I want it to last more than a couple of weeks. <laughs> you know? And I want to buy him that. God wants to give you incredible stuff. But it's that testing of the heart. That's the kingdom. That's where the kingdom economy comes in. That God is a kingdom that's bigger than the world's kingdom. All right. Adam's going to come up and share some announcements. Good word. All right. If you guys want to get out your bulletins, there's a few announcements I want to draw your attention to. 
Uh, we are having a family Christmas party here at New Day, which you are all invited to. That's going to be on December 13th at 6.30. That's a Saturday. Uh, it's going to be a really good time just to connect with one another. And um, if you feel like you are lacking in connection, this is a perfect opportunity to come and fellowship and get to know one another. Um, it's going to be a catered meal, good times. Um, I encourage you to come. Uh, also... Um, as you can tell, if any of you have looked outside since the service has started, everything's covered in snow, big stormy weather outside. So it's a perfect time to think about New Day camping. Um, <laughs> July, where are we? July 17th through 19th, we are having our New Day camping trip, but we actually need to reserve the spots like in a few weeks. So um, you need to be looking at your calendars and seeing if that's something that you can do and let us know. We actually have a sign-up spot for the Christmas party and the New Day camping trip on the connection card. So please fill that out accordingly and put that in the offering. And so we can know what we're doing and how many spots we're reserving. Okay, let's take our offering. If you guys want to come on down and, um, yeah, let's just pray. Father, we ask, Lord, that you would help us not to put our trust in riches, God, but to put our trust in you. And God, that is our our desire, Lord. Our desire is you. I pray that you would help us to live our lives in such a way that we are trusting you and you are our foundation, Lord. God, I pray that you bless this offering, Lord, that you would use this to further your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, as the offering is being passed, a few more announcements. Uh, we just want to thank you guys. Uh, New Day Youth would like to thank you for your support in our bake sale last week. We raised over $350. So we are very thankful for your generosity. Did you guys enjoy your, your baked goods? Anyone? Yes? Very good. Um, yeah, so thank you very much. That's, that blesses uh, New Day Youth, and uh, we really appreciate that. Okay, um, this week, also, keeping your prayers, uh, Cameron and Kathy are going to be avoiding the winter weather and going down to South Carolina to be with the Joneses. Doesn't that sound great? I'd like to do that. Um, everybody, just cancel whatever you're doing this week. That sounds great. Um, so they will be back for next Sunday, um, but they will be gone this week, so um, do be praying for them, and uh, that would be good. Okay, I'd like to invite Lori Roy, who has a testimony to share for us. Let's give Lori a hand. Hi, y'all. I am getting older, as I actually want to do, but this um, past winter, early spring, I started having back pain right on my spine. I'd wake up in the morning, it'd be stiff, hurt, and it's like, oh. Arthritis, I know that's what it is, you know, and so I started going to the chiropractor and he took x-rays and I got a crooked spine and I got these little degenerative things going on and numbness down my arm and I just keep going to the chiropractor, suffering and pain. And then Amy came back from Toronto and she got up here and talked about how she had her divine appointment with God and they prayed for her and healed her of, I'm sorry, I don't even remember your testimony, I just remember you got a divine appointment from God and it's like, Hey, I never had my back prayed for. I don't even know why I even didn't even think of having my back prayed for. But it's like, okay, I'm ready for a divine appointment. So I went up and she prayed for me. Yeah. And that following week, I had no pain. I was still stiff, but no pain. It's like, wow, this is cool. Sunday morning, the following week, I woke up, pain. It's like, God, I thought you healed me of this pain. What is going on here? 
And I felt like God said, well, remember the story of the Egyptians when they left Egypt? I mean, the Israelites when they left Egypt. And I gave them manna. And I told them, collect the manna that you need for the day and no more. And the people who grabbed more, their manna got maggots and nasty and everything. And the next day you had to go get manna. So I thought he was telling me, just come back to me. Which I did. I came back up and I think Janet prayed for me that time. And wow, that week, not only did I not have pain, but I was much less stiff. And I went to the chiropractor. I said, you know what? God's healing me and he's going to put you out of business. And, um, but still, you know, I still had stiffness and a week would go by and lo and behold, Sunday morning, I'd have a little bit of pain. And so I'd go back up for more prayer. And I've done this like week after week. And I actually scheduled an appointment with my family doctor because the chiropractor wasn't doing anything. I mean, I didn't see any results from it. And so I canceled my appointment with my family doctor because I wasn't having pain. And so I just um, was reminded by Janet something I had said when I did a study on the Lord's Prayer. And Jesus said, um, give us this day our daily bread. But Jesus also said, I am the bread of life. You know, and so give us this day our daily Jesus. And it's like, you got to come to Jesus and you got to keep being filled with him. You can't just stop and just get one prayer and say, oh, that's enough. You know, yeah, God is enough. He can do it miraculously, but you got to be willing to just come to him. Oh, so you've had no pain now for weeks, right? Every Sunday morning, I might be reminded that. No kidding. Yeah, this Except like Sunday this morning. this Sunday morning, I woke up and it's a little stiff. It's not pain. Okay. And it's like, well, it's Sunday. I need prayer. Gonna get prayed for. Well, let's pray for it right now. All right, stretch so out your hand, Father. We just pray for healing in Jesus' name, Lord. We just pray that uh, uh, she would have complete freedom. We renounce the power of arthritis and we proclaim the power of Jesus. To uh, cause Lori to continually walk in that freedom in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, she's experienced freedom, and so she's going to be available. Can you pray for people? All right. Over here. We're going to have people stand on this side. All right. Along with our prayer team, who uh, also are available to pray for whatever need you may have. Over here, our prophetic team. Someone from the prophetic team. There we go are available to minister to you. And what prophetic means is this, that they have been taught on how to hear God's voice and will share with you what they feel God is saying to you. Okay, it's not future telling or fortune telling. It's uh, just speaking God's word and blessing for you in your life. So if you never received that before, it's a great experience uh, and they can come and pray for you uh, and bless you in that way. Otherwise, would you stand? Turn around, see someone maybe you don't recognize, introduce yourself, and God bless you, you are dismissed.